Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Continuing our series today, Beyond Jerusalem, we're going to hear a message entitled, When God Prepares Human Hearts. So turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 10, verses 17 to 33, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. There's a general call that goes out to the human race. Come to Jesus and be saved. Why would you die in your sins? God so loved this sinful and ruined world of which you and I are a part, locked into rebellion, and yet notwithstanding our anarchy against our Creator, God so loved us that He sent His Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish and suffer wrath, but would experience eternal life. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. You know, the Bible, God's word to the human race says in John 1, 11 to 12, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become the children of God. And Revelation 22, verse 17 says, the spirit and the bride say, come and let him who desires take the water of life without price. There's so many invitations, so many calls that God makes in which he invites men and women, and you, my dear listener, to come to Christ and experience reconciliation with God and forgiveness of sins and adoption into God's family and the promise of eternal life, come. If you're hearing me say this and you've never repented of your sins, you've never humbled yourself to Jesus whose arms are stretched wide to save you, then do so now. It's called the gospel call. That's God's call to the entire human race, and he makes it because even while he is a just God and will not leave the guilty unpunished, yet even so, he comes with an offer of grace through the sacrifice of his son Jesus, come to him. It's a general call. But this is so important, that there must be preachers and evangelists through whom the call is made. See, Romans 10, 14 says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And that brings us to our study in Acts. Acts is the beginning of the fulfillment of the command that Jesus has given to the church. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, not just in your neighborhood, although that is also important, but not just in your city or your country, that's also very important, but go also into the entire world. See, up to now, as we've been in our study in Acts, the good news of Jesus had not yet escaped the boundaries of the Jewish and Samaritan world. The idea of countless Gentiles coming into the church, while the idea was appreciated from afar, that was not yet realized. It came fraught with difficulties. I mean, how should one handle, you know, that Gentile males were almost all uncircumcised? You know, and the First Testament covenant demanded that Israelite males should be circumcised. You know, how also did one deal with the fact that most Gentiles were unfamiliar with the First Testament, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and with Moses and the law of God, and with the things that the law demanded? I mean, does one first take them through the law make them faithful to Moses, and then, after that, introduce them to Jesus. I mean, up till now, there's been no clear plan or strategy as to how to get going. Indeed, the first Christian church didn't come up with a strategy. God thrust a strategy on them. You know, yesterday, we began to study Acts chapter 10, and in that chapter, we met a Roman centurion from the Italian regiment, a man named Cornelius. 
even though he has no Jewish background, through the time of his assignment in Israel, he had become a God-fearer. He learned about the God of Abraham and of Moses and of David and of the hope in the Messiah, and he had come to love that God. But conversion to Judaism, that was a bridge too far for him. And yet he, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was being drawn and would have attempted to keep the Ten Commandments and pray regularly and give alms to the poor, and God was going to reach out to him. An angel has directed Cornelius to send people the 50 kilometers south of him to a man named Peter. And yesterday we learned that Peter had been praying and that God had given him a vision of clean and unclean animals all mixed together, and he tells Peter to kill and eat. And the vision is repeated three times to indicate that this matter had been settled by God. And when we last left off our study, we saw Peter deeply perplexed and ill at ease at what he had seen. Was God asking him to break his own laws regarding ritual purity? And yet, God had said, don't call unclean what I have made clean. And there, let's pick up our reading. I'm reading Acts 10, 17 to 20. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. You know, Peter's vision has ended. The trance is over. He knows that God has been speaking to him, but at this time, he will have to wait for God to show him what that strange experience was all about. But at that moment, says our narrator, Luke, the three men sent by Cornelius are standing at the gate of the house. They've walked the 50 kilometers. They've made inquiries as to where the home of the tanner was, the man named Simon. And they've been directed here to this house, and by God's sovereign timing, just when Peter's vision is over, they're at that moment standing at the gate of the house. Now, of course, one of the three men at the gate is a Roman soldier. And you'd have to wonder what Simon the Tanner was thinking at that moment. Was he unsettled by that? And it would have been just a bit unsettling for a Jewish man to see three guests at his door, all with clothing that would have indicated they're not Jewish. I'm going to assume that had never happened to Simon the Tanner before. So we have to imagine the scenario that was being played out. And all the while, the Holy Spirit was speaking to Peter. Three men are looking for you, and you're to go down to them. See, I love the fact that the Holy Spirit is telling him not to show any hesitation. So just imagine the scenario further. Please remember that 50 kilometers in those days was at a considerable distance. Given that you don't just pack the car and ride off, this journey demands considerable effort, so you can't just take off. You actually have to invite the three Gentiles into the Jewish home. You're going to have to share a meal with them. You're going to have to make preparations for the journey. They're going to be walking for two days. Everyone is going to get to know everyone fairly well. The whole thing demands commitment. I think that's why the the Spirit directed Peter, don't hesitate. You know, I have personal memories of going to foreign countries and being picked up by people I've never met before and who spoke no English. They simply directed me into their car and off we went. It was nerve-wracking at first. But in this case, Simon the Tanner would have had three Gentiles in the house. He would have fed them. He would have put them up for the night. And then 
on the next day, they would have gone out together. Again, whatever Peter had been planning, the Holy Spirit was indicating those plans Peter are now shot. God is intervening. So let's keep reading. Acts 10, 21 to 23a. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. So Peter has his instructions. He still has no idea what it's about. He only knows it's important, and he also knows he's not going to resist the Holy Spirit. Whatever other plans he has had, they're all changed now. God requires no permission to change our plans at any point in time. So he presents himself to the three men. I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? Now, the answer is a significant one for Peter to hear. You know, the first part of the answer already shows Peter the meaning of the vision of the clean and the unclean animals. Peter hears for the first time of this Gentile Roman soldier stationed in Caesarea. He fears God. The Jewish community around him loves this man. And please don't mistake that to mean that he fears some unknown God, or he follows the God of his understanding. That, I know, is popular for moderns to speak in our day. That's not how these people would have spoken. They're saying this Gentile military commander has come to bow his knee to the God who is revealed in Scripture. No doubt, Cornelius would have had his own Greek copy of the Old Testament. He would have been reading it thoroughly. No doubt, he had been obedient, and no doubt, He had come to bless the faithful Jews in his area. Now, we later hear what Peter says to Cornelius, and when they finally meet, it becomes apparent that Cornelius has also heard about Jesus. And Cornelius would have been intrigued by the man Jesus. Who in the world would have thought that a Roman soldier would have such a fascination with the one true God? See, up till now, Peter has been used to calling Gentiles unclean. Perhaps, just perhaps, he's been too hasty in his judgment. His world is about to be turned upside down. We know that making trustworthy Bible teaching available to all Canadians is important to you. It is with that in mind that we created the 1119 Fellowship, a monthly giving program. This fellowship program ensures that the true wisdom found in the Bible will continue to be shared and made available for generations to come. One of our 1119 members wrote to say, I know that I can trust what is taught by Dr. Neufeld. This is why we're monthly supporters of this ministry. I've been so encouraged by the teaching of the Bible. The research that is being done by Dr. John has opened my eyes to the truths of the Bible. Thank you. God bless you. To learn more about the 1119 Fellowship, the benefits of joining, and to become a member, visit backtothebible.ca slash fellowship or call 1-800-663-2425. The last half of Acts 10.23 says, The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. You know, Peter decides he's going to take with him some of probably the leaders of the Christian church in Joppa. Later on in chapter 11, when Peter's explaining the event, 
He says he took six men along. No doubt, Peter is already keenly aware of an important reality. If God is going to do something important, if he's going to take the church to the next level, that it's going to become a Gentile phenomenon, Peter wants to make sure that there are Jewish believers to both witness what happens, but also to make connection with the Gentile believers. There's an important lesson here for all Christian leaders today. Try not to do too many things alone. Make sure there are other believers with you. It'll multiply the effectiveness of what you're doing as you bring others on the inside of God's business. And then secondly, here's one of the very big differences between a church and a business. If you're running a business, no doubt you want that business to be as streamlined as possible. You know, how many people do I need in order to most effectively get my product to market? And you're going to want to minimize the amount of people that work for you. See, in a church, you don't want to minimize people at all. You want to maximize the amount of people that are required. You know, if you need two volunteers, my advice, leader, get four. And you might say, well, that's going to slow things down. Yes, but only in the short term. In the long term, it's going to maximize the impact of the gospel. Good leaders are surrounded by many people. Another important lesson here is that I noticed that Peter does not travel alone. Later on in Acts, as we see that Luke is going to spend more and more time on the missionary journeys of Paul, and we're going to see that Paul rarely travels alone. Paul always takes a group with him, but taking others does something else. See, I've noticed that the men, especially the men that travel to do ministry in our day, especially those who travel alone, are often frequently tempted into sexual liaisons. But travel among a company of people who are all involved in the business of the kingdom and the entire matter of traveling is transformed. And so in the case of Peter, we see him traveling in the company of a group of 10 people. I do not doubt that this was the initial stage in which the seven Jewish believers and the three Gentile members of Cornelius' household got to know each other well. I'm reading slowly now, so let's go to verse 24. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And here's another important thing that we must not miss. Did you notice that Cornelius, like Peter, is not a man who travels alone? Remember that it was an angel who had appeared to Cornelius telling him to send for Peter. And so realizing how important that moment is, Cornelius is now calling together friends and relatives. You know, yesterday I'd made mention of the fact that Roman centurions had a very good rate of pay, and I also suggested that he probably would have been able to afford a good-sized home, and now he's putting that home to good use. Did you know that most effective time in a person's life, when he or she is going to reach the most amount of people with the saving news of Jesus, is shortly after they come to Christ? New converts, and even those who have not yet found their way to Christ, must be encouraged to include their friends in their spiritual journey. Studies have shown that when someone is new in Christ, all their friends want to know what happened to them. You know, it may well be that years later, you know, either those friends come to Christ or they drift away. So simply presenting the gospel one-on-one without taking note of a person's household, which will include their friends, their business colleagues, family members, and other people important to them. That's actually the way the gospel progressed in the early church. We should learn from that. 
Here I'm saying that I'm in favor of personal evangelism, but I'm not in favor of evangelism in isolation from a person's networks. Cornelius doesn't have to be told about that. We have to imagine his spiritual journey as a God-fearer was not a personal journey. He's no doubt sharing his spiritual journey with friends, and now that he's seen a vision of an angel, everyone's heard about that as well. So let's keep reading Acts 10, 25 to 29. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. So Cornelius' first reaction, at least in our eyes, seems curious. But remember, he's a military man who understands authority structures and also, as a Gentile, prostrating himself before someone whom he believes to be sent by God would have seemed to be an acceptable approach. It is his way of telling the man who comes to his house that, look, I know that you've been sent by God and I want to show you the highest respect. And Peter's response is a biblical response. And here again, we see another lesson for Christian leaders. You know, I once attended a pro-life rally in which I was seated for a meal next to a Roman Catholic bishop, and I was overwhelmed at how many people came to him and bowed before him, took his hand, and then kissed his ring. And I was puzzled. I mean, what did it signify? Was it a practice of respect, or was it showing far too much honor? Well, I leave that to you to decide, but from my vantage point, Peter demonstrates the proper attitude of Christian leaders. It's also an attitude of the people of God towards their leaders. Look, it's important that God's people should honor their leaders. It's biblical. But leaders should not elevate themselves so that others should look at them as faultless or worthy of veneration. See, Peter's attitude is that he will not accept such an honor. And Christian leaders must remember that. Yeah, we have a holy calling, but we're just men. See, at any rate, Peter's talking to Cornelius, and Cornelius takes Peter into the house. And this is a new experience for Peter. The house is filled with Gentiles. They're all eager to hear what he has to say. And I think it's fair to say that Peter has been in many gatherings before, but never in anything that even remotely resembles this. Not one male is circumcised in this group. Not one kosher person is in this group. No one belongs to the physical descendants of Abraham. No one of the six men he has brought with him has ever seen anything like it either. And so he begins by admitting the awful truth. Up to this moment, I would have considered it unlawful for me as a Jew to be in a gathering like this. I would have stayed clear of you. Now, lest that sound off-putting, I don't think the Gentiles in that room would have thought so. You know, for those God-fearers who actually worshipped in Jewish synagogues, they would have been forbidden from sharing a meal in a Jewish home. Everyone in that room knew what was happening. This was the most unusual thing that anyone had ever seen. And Peter simply acknowledges it. And then comes the stunning confession. Finally, he understands the vision he's seen earlier when the sheet of clean and unclean animals was lowered down from heaven. He says he now understands God has specifically told him not to call any person common or unclean. I am, he says, been commanded by no less than God himself that I must not stay clear of Gentiles. I am here because 
It's an act of God that broke this barrier down. And everyone in the room is deathly quiet. They all know this is a very significant moment. So Peter says, why did you call me? Acts 10, 30 to 33. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. See, do you remember when we started today, I talked about the call of God. God sends preachers and evangelists to call men and women to Christ. But here now is this amazing thing we need to hear. Did you know that there are men and women who have been prepared by the Holy Spirit to respond to the message that you have to share? Some theologians call this the effectual call, hearts prepared in advance to say yes to the gospel of Jesus. How different that is from what so many of us expect or even think. You know, some of us think it's our clever design or our persuasive arguments that are going to argue them into the kingdom. Instead, the book of Acts wants to let us know that God has prepared human hearts in advance so that when we share the gospel, they are already prepared to say yes. And that's what's happening here. It's still happening today. Thanks so much, John. Let me ask you, I think this is a pretty serious question. Why is it, do you think, few of us can actually share a story of leading someone to Christ? Um, you know, I've often wondered about that because I've seen so many people, and clearly there's a gift of evangelism, but I've known a number of people who are leading people to Christ um, almost weekly, and uh, they do it, I mean, I I don't have the gift in that abundance, um, but I see people doing that with such joy. I, I think what happens to a great many of us is, one, we're not aware of what the Holy Spirit is doing. And because of that, we're not recognizing the opportunities that he's given us. So that's one part of it. The other part is that we're not praying fervently for that. And still another part of it is that we're not prepared to do that. And and when we're not prepared, uh, then we're not ready to share our faith in a way that's understood by someone else. Thanks, John. And remember to join us again next week as we continue our series, Jesus Goes Global Beyond Jerusalem, right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. Every day we partner with radio stations across the country, like the one you're listening to right now, to air the Bible teaching programs of Back to the Bible Canada. We want to thank the faithfulness of our radio partners and remind you to thank them as well. We also want to thank our listeners from across Canada who support this ministry with your encouragement and financial contributions. Your thoughtfulness ensures Bible teaching is made available in your community and across Canada as Back to the Bible Canada remains steadfastly committed to teaching the life-changing truths of the Bible. To our radio partners and listeners alike, thank you. This ministry of Bible teaching on radio could not be accomplished without you. To learn more about the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, 
and all the resources available, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.